0: Would you pray with me? Lord, we need uh, to know more of your presence this morning. Um, I've so enjoyed uh, being led to the throne room and coming together with friends and brothers and sisters who, who we're expressing our need uh, to be led. We're expressing our need uh, to see you exalted and to know that you do reign. Lord, we live in a broken world, in a confusing time, and, and uh, lots going on in our lives, and so we ask that you would give us direction from your word and through your spirit this morning. We ask for your glory and our good, and we ask this humbly in Jesus' name, amen. I'm glad to be with you all this morning. Uh, you know, they say that um, in public speaking, this is a principle of public speaking, that uh, it's good to build a connection with the audience. That's what they say. So I'm going to try something. Um, raise your hand if you miss the Hubbard family. Okay, good. See, we we got a connection. Uh, I, I miss them. And every time I come here, I think of them, because usually when I'm here, you know, Iris is running around or Jonah just climbed out a window or something. And <laughs> um, and, and I miss the Hubbards. So I, I work at UAH with RUF, and I've been there. Um, this is my fourth year, which is unbelievable to me so So the freshmen I started with are now my seniors, and they 're about to graduate and Roy had been here a couple of years before me and and had has been a good friend and so is Alex uh, Alex is a part of the hiring team that that brought us to Huntsville and so um, I always tell our students when they meet Alex that if you don 't like me it 's his fault he's the one he's the one who did it um, we, we love being here, and, and I love the Village Church. Y'all have ministered to us way more than you even realize. I know I don't know all of you personally, but uh, you have ministered with us and to our family in lots of different ways, very practical ways by you let us use uh, this room every summer. We have summer RUF at the Village Church uh, during the summer where we spend seven, eight, nine weeks in here with all of our students. Um, we have A&M involved in that and UAH students, and we can go through a study. So thank you for that. Uh, you have been um, supporting our ministry now and praying for us and being financial partners in our work over at UAH. So grateful you minister to some of our students who come into this church as well. Uh, and even now, I would say thank you on behalf of RUF for continuing to minister at A&M uh, during the semester while they're kind of in the hiring process for the next guy. Uh, with Lyle specifically in his ministry, leading that Bible study, and your church continuing to support that ministry. So uh, you're a big part of my life, whether you realize it or not. Um, And it's an honor to be able to share just a few minutes with you this morning. We're going to look at a passage, Ephesians chapter 1, where Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, who's going through a lot. And I want to ask you this question as you turn there, so you can begin thinking about it as we come to this passage. If I were to ask you, what is it that you need in your life right now more than anything else? I'm curious of how you would answer. Come up with an answer to that question in your mind. What is it that you need in your life right now more than anything else? If I, would, um, if I were honest, I would probably, I want to think about this. I would, right now, I would probably answer a, a, a little more time. You, you got those seasons where you just, where did the day go, where did the week go, where, where did my to-do list go, it's still there, and, and you just need more time. We, we're in the season right now, we've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old at home, girls, and, and at the end of the night, Kelly and I just look at each other, and we're like, how do we, how do we clean up? How do we, you just need more time, right? Um, maybe for you it's another dollar, you need some more money? Um, famous quote from John D. Rockefeller when someone asked him, uh, how much more money do you need? And he said, just one more dollar. We, we all kind of have that feeling. It, it may be a, a deeper place. I, if I were to ask our students right now, probably a lot of them would say they need the right co-op, the, the internship. They've got to have the right engineering job this summer or their life is just over as they know it. They've got to get in the right track right now. Uh, many of them would say they've got to find they've got to find that relationship. You know, the the window's closing and college is coming to an end, and they feel this pressure that they've got to pair up. And you know, I'm happy to help with that process as much as they let me. But you know, we've all got the what is it for you? It it may be for you. You need direction. You're in this place in your family or in your career where you just need to know, God, what what do we do with this? Where do we go next? Maybe it's comfort. You're going through something really difficult right now. Uh, you're facing some kind of sickness, or even uh, you've, you've perhaps even been through death of a loved one, and you, you just need comfort. I don't know. I, I don't know how you. would And, and let me just even ask, as a church, to the leaders of this church, and, and to you as a congregation, what is it you need at the Village Church right now more than anything else? What is it? That's the answer, Paul. That's the question Paul's answering in this passage as we come to it. He's telling the Ephesian church the answer to this question. I want you to hear if you can hear it. Paul says, here's what you need more than anything else. Let's start. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason, Paul writes, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might, that He worked in us in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but this, the word of our Lord, will stand forever. So Paul's writing this letter to the Ephesian church, and they're up against a lot in their lives right now. The church is young, obviously, at this point, and specifically the church in Ephesus was a very kind of scattered and, and hurting and persecuted church. They were young, and they were outnumbered. Ephesus was known to be a city of cults, and the cult worship was far bigger than this worship, and they felt... Um, They felt like they didn't really have a place in the city. You know, they they were very much outnumbered. And many of them were losing relationships and probably jobs and those kind of things because of their faith. And their lives were even on the line. They were persecuted in a very real way for their faith. And so Paul writes this letter to encourage them and to teach them what they do at this time in their lives as a church. And he answers the question, what is it that they need more than anything else? But he doesn't answer it the way that we would answer it. You know, he might write to a church like that and say, "Here's here's what I'll I'll pray for you. Here's what you need more than anything else. I will pray that you won't be persecuted, that you'll be protected." But that's he he doesn't actually say that. He doesn't pray that they would have, you know, this tremendous growth all of a sudden so they could take over the city. He doesn't pray that. He doesn't pray for the right political leader to get in place so that they can, you know, live a little more comfortably. Those aren't the things that he's saying that's what you need more than anything else. Instead, he prays that they would receive wisdom of the power that they have in Christ. And I would say that actually is the thing that we all need in our lives right now more than anything else. Behind every, other, every, every answer you came up with, I'm sure, is a great answer. But behind it, what you really need and what I really need and what this church needs more than anything else is the power of Jesus Christ. And so what I want to show you is three ways that Jesus' power breaks through into our lives this morning. Um, the first is how, how the power of Christ uh, comes into the darkness into our, in our hearts, how the power of Christ comes against the darkness of our worlds, and how the power of Christ comes into our churches. The first point is by far the longest. So don't get like stressed out if I you know, get, say, point two when you're looking at your clock. Um, the, the first is the biggest because we need to see the power of Jesus in the dark places in our lives where we struggle we go back all the way to the creation story for this one because in the very beginning in the beginning was two things God and nothing in the beginning was God and there was nothing but darkness and into the darkness God spoke and he scattered the light away But the thing is, darkness kind of came back into the story in a very real way when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Darkness entered into the garden, into their hearts, when they made a deliberate decision to walk against God. And they fell and they fell hard. And they were cast out of the garden. And ever since that moment, darkness has become a regular theme of all of our lives and all of our hearts, too. We are born into this sin. Lyle even read that earlier from Scripture, that we are born into this place where we have sin in our hearts, where we have dark places in our hearts. And the same thing that Satan did to Adam and Eve, he continues to do for us, and that is hold out something that looks appealing, that sounds mostly right, and then we take and we consume, and then we miss God. And the darkness that entered into the garden is the darkness that remains in our hearts. And it's what Paul writes and you can probably identify with when he says, I don't even understand what I do because what I want to do, I don't end up doing. But the things I hate is what I end up doing. Can you identify with that? Those sin patterns in our lives where we just find ourselves continually stumbling around in the darkness, not finding our way out. I don't know what it is for you. It may be those places of some entangling sin, something that you've just fought against and fought against and fought against and you just feel stuck and trapped. Or maybe it's some patterns of the way you've hurt people you love the most. You know, patterns of anger that's come out in your home or resentment and bitterness that keeps you from deeper relationships. Those dark places, maybe it's the dark place of fear where you're just paralyzed by what's next, scared of the future, or the fear of people. You fear, what does everyone think about me? You're continually living in that dark place of what's my reputation to this group of people. Or maybe your fear is that you just are never enough. There's something uh, that's really changed my perspective on ministry in my own heart or the last couple of years, is I've just learned more about the areas of shame and guilt and the difference between these two. And there's a researcher psychologist named Brene Brown who does a lot of work in this area. And what she says is the shame in your life is the never enough in your life. So what are those places where you go where you just say, I'm never and I'll never be, I can never. Those are the dark places in our hearts where we just are never enough. I want you to identify those places because unless we begin to see where the darkness still resides, we're not going to see where the light needs to shine because there's light available here. Because the the creation story is now reemphasized, reimagined, and made even more visible to us as the Gospel of John opens up for us. When John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. I was reading not too long ago, um, we have the Jesus Storybook Bible uh, for our girls, and we were reading the story of the fall, um, Or I was with Lucy. She's our five-and-a-half-year-old. And as we were going through the story of the fall, walking through that, Adam and Eve and their decision and the darkness that entered into the story, she said, this story is making tears come to my eyes. She heard the darkness and then she kind of paused for a second and she said, but that's okay because Jesus is coming. It's true, right? It's okay because Jesus is coming. He enters into the darkness. The the word in the beginning was the word and the word was God in him was life and that life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Listen, Jesus' coming to earth is Jesus' entering into the darkness. Jesus' incarnation is God speaking once again, scattering the darkness away. But now it's not just in the story and in creation, but it is in our hearts. And we need to see where Jesus can speak and begin to scatter some of those dark places away. If you are a Christian and you're struggling with any of these things that we mentioned and all the other stuff that hopefully God has even brought to your mind, you need to know that you have tremendous hope because the power of Jesus comes against darkness in our lives. If, if you're not a believer and you're kind of working through this and trying to understand, but you see some of these same areas where you say, yeah, I wish that didn't exist in my life, you need to see the hope of the Gospel for you held out this morning. Because Jesus enters into the story to scatter the darkness, and he does this all throughout his ministry in, in uh, many different ways. That's what he's doing when he's casting out demons. It's when he, what he's doing when he's healing people. It's what he's doing when he's doing all sorts of miracles. But it's what he's doing when he enters into the wilderness and faces Satan one to one. In the same, now we've got Genesis three repeated, but in Jesus's life, and the temptations come, and Satan holds out something appealing that looks good to Jesus. And he does what Adam and Eve never could do. And he does what you and I can never do. And he says, no. I'm not going to have it. And he fights and he fights. And he comes out of the wilderness. And you know what the first thing he said? He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Because he had just done battle with Satan and he won already. What I tell our students all the time is... We, we so often see Jesus as our example, which is right. Jesus is flawless and sinless and a great example, but He's more than our example. Jesus is our power. Jesus is our power as we continue to struggle against these dark places in our lives. Jesus is our power to give us sometimes victory over those sin patterns. Jesus is the one who gives us perspective even in the midst of our fear. Jesus is the one who moves in even when it's hard. So that we can fight. I was thinking about the um, the Boston Marathon bombing that happened a couple of years ago. You remember the story, of course? Horrific uh, bombing that killed three people during that race, at right at the end, and then the shootout that happened over the next couple of days killed another. What I remember I don't know if you remember this from all the news coverage that kind of took over for the next week. Is as they kept showing the video of the two bombs, there were two bombs and they were about 12 seconds apart. What I remember so clearly is the amount of the number of people who ran into the damage, the first responders. It was amazing how quickly a bomb just goes off, boom, and people run into it. And then another bomb, 12 seconds, goes off just down the way, boom, and these people don't run. They continue to go where there are needs to be met. There were about 300 people injured. And three people died. I, I'm amazed at the, the folks who ran in. They saw the need. And the second bomb didn't stop. They just ran in to meet the need. That's what Jesus does in the dark places in our lives. He's committed To scattering the darkness away. We think Jesus comes to us when we get our act together. Jesus comes to us when we know we don't. And He runs into those dark places in our lives to do something about it. In the end, Satan loses. In the end, our sin does not have final victory in our lives if we are in Christ. In the end, Jesus is the one who can free us from the bondage of people approval from jealousy and bitterness and anger and lust and greed and all of these dark places in our lives. The, the Greek word here for, for power in this verse is dynamos. What does that sound like to you? Dynamite, right? And It just speaks to the explosive power of the gospel. And that's why Paul says, that we would know the immeasurable greatness of the power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. The very same power of God that raised Jesus from the dead now is the power at work that is exploding sin's grip in our lives and scattering the darkness away over and over again. Even to the point that death is no longer the final enemy that the power of God is made so evident by death not even being able to hold Jesus down. Jesus entered into our darkness so that we would enter into His light forever. Jesus took on our darkness so that we would know His light forever. By the way, this is what happened when Jesus went to the cross. When darkness came over the earth, that darkness was the darkness of God's absence in that moment. Once again, the Genesis 3 darkness. And Jesus took on that darkness of all of our sin so that we can know his light again. There's tremendous hope for us who struggle with sin. There's so much hope for us who live in bondage in all of these different areas because of the power of God given to us in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. I want to show you two other ways that this specifically applies, both in our world and in our church. There's something really significant that happens when it says Jesus ascends to heaven after his resurrection. Paul says that Jesus was seated at the right hand of God. So I want you to get the picture in your mind. There's a throne room in heaven. And I don't quite know how it works, it's kind of a double seater, but Jesus is there. And, and he's on his throne. Because he's done with his work, mostly. There's one more thing he will do. But but when he said it is finished, he meant it. And we know he meant it because he ascended to heaven and he sat down. This shows us two things about what Jesus has done. Jesus seated on his throne is both a position of completion and it is a position of authority. It's a position of completion. Um, Alex and I shared the same a systematics professor in seminary, Dr. Douglas Kelly. And I remember so well Dr. Kelly made this point about this verse and this idea when he said, uh, do you have that chair at home? You know that chair where you've had your long, long, long day. You've been at work for 11, 12 hours, or you've you've changed more diapers than you can count. You've you've just had those days, and you have that one chair after everything's done in the house, and you just kind of... You fall back into it. Why do you do that? It's because you you did it. You're done. You made it. And you sit down. He says that's the picture of Jesus taking a seat on His throne. He's come to do what He promised to do, and He did it, and He sat down. It's a position of completion. His work is done. Your sin really has been dealt with. That's the first thing the seat means. The second thing is that it is a position of authority. We sang it this morning, right? He is exalted. The King is exalted on high. Verse 20 says, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet. There is no other authority. There's no authority in heaven or on earth that is above the rule and the reign of Jesus. There's no other dominion that Jesus will ever submit himself to again. There's no other rule that Jesus doesn't rule over. Abraham Kuyper famously said, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Not a square inch over which Jesus Christ doesn't cry, mine. This should bring tremendous comfort to our lives because we live in a troubling world. If you happen to be troubled by any of the events that are going on in the world today, I hope this, these verses bring a lot of comfort to your hearts. And I know you are troubled. One, because I am. And I have a feeling we're not that different. But also because I see your passively aggressive Facebook posts. You know, I, I hear the murmurings in the hallway. We've we got a lot to complain about. We've got a lot to be troubled about in our world. This passage is telling us that ISIS is not in power. That terrorists are not in control. That our own government, no matter what you think about it, is not ultimate. It's not the final power with its good qualities and bad ones. That your boss isn't the ultimate boss, right? We have a greater authority, a greater power. Jesus even said, In this world, you will. You will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome it. I've overcome this world. Jesus is seated in a position of authority. He is in His rightful place as King. He is sovereignly ruling over the events of our day. And nothing that is happening is happening outside of His rule and His reign. And this should lead us to do two things, I think. Two things I don't do well. I'm not saying this as if I do them But two things, that knowing Jesus is in authority, it should lead us to rest well and pray more. Right? We should be able to rest a lot more. And I don't mean sleep. I just mean in the turmoil of our hearts and our anxieties to rest and say, Jesus, you got this. You're in authority over our children Over your wayward adult children, you know, over the hard stuff in our lives and our workplace, Jesus is in a position of authority. And it therefore should lead us to pray more. Because what's amazing is we now have direct access to the one who's in a position of authority. He hears us, He listens, and He answers. we should rest more and we should pray more because God really does respond to the prayer of His people. Jesus is in heaven and He is at work even right now. He is working all things out for His purposes and His glory. And you should know that He has chosen one specific tool out of His giant toolbox to work out this plan most specifically. And that tool is what we call the church. That Jesus is at work even now scattering darkness away in our world. And the way He's doing it in a very specific way is through this thing. As strange as it may seem sometimes, God has chosen to put people together in a church and in the church at large to work out His purposes in this dark world. And so I want to close with talking about Jesus' power in the church. You see that in these verses too. Verse 22. And He put all things under His feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Most New Testament scholars agree that Ephesians is just, it's a letter about the church. Over and over and over and over again. It is a letter about the church. How Jesus loves his church. How Jesus died for his church. How Jesus ministers in his church. How he uses his church. Um, I taught through Ephesians last spring with our students a year ago for the whole semester um, because college students don't love the church for the most part. There are some that do, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. But I'm learning, realizing more and more that college students are becoming more and more disenfranchised with church. And I've got some theories on that that I can share with you for what it's worth. Part of it is I think the church has blown it in some areas, and they see it. We all know of at least five scandals we've lived through in the church in our lives. At least two or three. I've got a few. I've got horrific stories of church stuff that I've been a part of, that I've seen. Divisions and splits. My church split in the 90s, 1990s, over racism. Just split in half. It was horrible. I didn't like the church in college either. We've seen leaders make decisions and do things that students have seen this too. You know, they've seen the church and they've seen its problems. Also, I think the church has largely become defined by what we're against more than what we're for. And there's times for that, of course, but, but sometimes that's all you hear is what we're against. I think even students today. Uh, they're, they're questioning kind of how we allocate our resources. You know, they they see where where the money's going and and, and they have questions about it. And I, I'm not saying all these things are totally legitimate, but that, that's what I'm hearing. I actually do a um, do a seminar. I get to teach on this a lot because this is a huge passion area of mine is talking about the local church. And so at, at area conferences, I do a seminar uh, on the church, and I do it to make two big points. And the first is, I'll name those kind of things and give stories, and I'll say, I agree. The church really has blown it. As a pastor, I'm with you. We've screwed up. But the second thing that I want them to hear, and I want us to hear and see from this passage, is that that church, the one that has blown it, the one with all the scandals and divisions and problems, that's the church Jesus came to die for. And that's the church Jesus now uses to spread the hope of His good news to a broken world. Jesus didn't come for a church that had its act together. Jesus came for this one, the one that's broken. Jesus didn't wait till the church was perfect before He saved it. He saved it to make it perfect. And He's using each and every one of us for that purpose to that end, to make His bride more beautiful. That's what He's doing. And so the last thing I just simply want to say is if you want a front row seat to see the light of the gospel breaking through in the world, then just stick around here. Because there's no greater place to see the hope of the gospel and Jesus' power over brokenness than in each other's lives and in this place and in this community and this city. That's what we're doing every single Sunday, seeing the gospel, the drama of the gospel unfolded, in each of our lives, exploding darkness over and over again, bringing healing and hope and comfort and grace and reconciliation and rest and victory and forgiveness and all of it here in the church. It's what our worship is about. It's what our small groups are about. It's what our conversations and our families and all the ministries that you're a part of and support. It's what we're committed to. Is continuing to see Jesus' power in the midst of darkness. We see it when relationships are reconciled in the church, the power of Christ. When individuals are converted, that's the power of Christ. When families are cared for in hard times, when there is hope in the middle of suffering, that's the power of Christ. When there is comfort and sorrow, it is the power of Christ. So what is it that you need right now and I need and this church needs more than anything else? It's to know more of the power of Christ. It's not another dollar. Not just a little more rest or a little more perspective or a little more hope or direction. But behind it all, what we need to know is the power of Christ in us. That as Paul said, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. That is what we desperately need in our lives, in our community. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that You would break through our darkness in our hearts, in our homes, in our city, in our world, over and over again. Show us Your power. God, thank You that You're committed to breaking through darkness. So much so that You committed to sending Your Son to die for our darkness and enter into it in the most real way so that we could have glimpses of light in our lives now and an eternity of light with You forever. That is our hope. I pray that we would know it more and more this week. We ask for Your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, Amen.